0: So let's face it, your code is going to have errors, even code written by an amazing developer such as yourself. When errors happen, it's nice to know that HoneyBadger has your back. HoneyBadger makes you a DevOps hero by combining error monitoring, uptime monitoring, and check-in monitoring into a single, easy-to-use platform. Honeybadger sends you alerts real time with all the context needed to see what's causing the error and where it's hiding so you can quickly fix it and get on with your day. The included uptime and cron monitoring also helps you know when your external services are having issues or your background jobs go missing or silently fail. Go to honeybadger.io and discover how Star, Josh, and Ben created a 100% bootstrapped monitoring solution. Why is this important? Self-funding means they only answer to you, the developer, rather than a venture capital overlord. Visit HoneyBadger.io today and mention this podcast to get started for 30% off. Welcome to Parent Driven Development. Just a quick reminder before we move into the show that we love being able to provide you with this content and we want to continue to do so. We're on Patreon and would love your support. Most people just give $5 a month, which really helps us continue to do what we love and share it with all of you. Thanks for your support. Now, today, I'm here with my friend, Chris.
1: Hello, I'm Chris Sexton, and I'm here with my friend, Arit.
2: Hello, I'm Arit, and I'm here with my friend, Kewoo.
3: Hi, I'm K Wu, and today we're here with our guest, David Hanemeyer Hansen, who will be chatting with us about parenting while being internet famous. David is the creator of Ruby on Rails, co-founder and CTO at Basecamp, best-selling author, Lumon class winning, class-winning racing driver, frequent podcast guest, and family man. Welcome, David.
4: Thanks for having me on.
3: We've been really looking forward to this episode because, as I mentioned as today's topic, you are far more internet famous than any of the rest of us, let's say. Uh, And just to kick us off, I was wondering whether this was the case when you had your first kid?
4: Yes, I'd say I've been on the internet making noise for the better part (laughs) of at least 15 years. So Mm -hmm. my oldest is eight years old, so by the time he arrived, the internet was was a big part of it, and, and I was there
3: (laughs) yeah yeah so how did that did did that kind of affect your thinking I mean becoming a parent for the first time is obviously a big transition regardless but I was wondering how you approached it if you had say security concerns for your kids's privacy and things like that
4: it wasn't something I was that in tune with at the time of our first child but I got in tune with it I used to actually have pictures on the internet of the kids and mm-hmm. I this was maybe 2016 17 something like that I read a number of great articles from kids who had been on the internet because their parents had put them there and they most certainly did not like it and I also just became more aware in general about how sort of the interaction between kids and their parents bragging about them or posting about them on the internet and felt like, you know what, I don't need any of that. So I yanked off all pictures I had. This came around the same time that I deleted my Instagram account, which had some pictures of my kids on them. They were also on my website. And I tried my best to scrub all pictures of them on the internet. If they wanna be on the internet someday, I mean, that's up to them and they should make that choice, but I'm not going to put their face on there anymore.
3: Yeah, I guess that's really interesting in in the era that we are all parenting in, where the, you know, like our parents, obviously, all, all parents make a variety of decisions on behalf of their kids, some of which the kids welcome, and many of them, I'm sure the kids don't. And for all of us, with the internet being such a part of our everyday lives, it could be really easy to make much broader impact decisions that ripple on where the effects keep going in unpredictable ways. it seems.
4: Yeah, I'm just thinking of, of myself, too. So when I got on the Internet, would I have liked to be able to find pictures of myself at age 5, 7, 10, 12 on the Internet? Probably not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> probably not. So if, if that's something I wouldn't have particularly enjoyed, I kind of feel it's only congruent that I try to not put that on, on my own kids, even though it's it's really hard. And it's hard because, I mean, you're excited about your kids or they did something funny or, or whatever, and you wanna share it. It's a completely okay. natural human reaction. And I think in the, in the past we would just share it with our friends and now our friends are on the internet and there's all these platforms that make it incredibly easy to blur that line. What am I sharing with my friends and what am I sharing with the other 5 billion people who happen to be online? And then that's not even talking about the whole nasty dynamics of platforms like Instagram where you post a cute picture of your kid and and you get a bunch of likes and you go like, oh, that feels so nice and warm. Like, let me just Mm. keep doing that and and post even more funny or revealing or perhaps sometimes embarrassing pictures of my kids because, like, hey, people like that. I'm just giving the people what they like. And, (laughs) yeah, no.
1: So so to – to talk about the the sharing with your friends it especially given the global pandemic and quarantines and things like that uh, social media has been great in that we can connect with the people i can't see anymore but that also means that i you know i'm using social media to connect and now that's how i share with my friends do you still do you find that that's still fine you can share the pictures of your kids with Friends and family, or are you having to limit that since they're on those platforms? And that's, you know, Instagram would have been how you would have done that.
4: So, I've we've long had since actually uh, almost around the time our oldest was born, we've had Apple photos, whatever that called photo stream, I think it's just called. And on that photo stream, we used to have a bunch of friends on it too. And I actually even got to the point in my wrestling with this issue where i felt like that wasn't actually even cool because again i was trying to put myself in in the shoes of of our kids and would i have liked for my parents friends to just have like a huge history of everything i did growing up and i was like you know what i don't even like that it's not that obviously you can't share pictures of your kids with with your friends but the tools that we have are so good in a sense of low friction that it encourages to share a lot. And we came to the conclusion that we weren't going to do that anymore. We essentially restricted that photo stream to just be immediate family. And then, I mean, you can occasionally share something with, with your friends, and we continue to do that. And usually that's over iMessage or another direct platform. But this idea of sharing by putting it on the open internet, that, is not something I'm interested in anymore. And I mean, it's even more than that. And I know that this I mean, this is a parenting podcast. So this is what we signed up for. But anytime you talk about these things about go, oh, this is what I'm doing for my kids. Like it's almost like an implicit attack on parents that do something else. And I Also wrestle with with that, right? Like I'm a person who have opinions, and I share those opinions, and I can share those opinions about a whole host of topics where I can go pretty hard at it because I kind of have a general sense of like, hey, we're talking about technology, or we're talking about societal issues, or even politics or something. Okay, let's just put it out there. But whenever I put something out about parenting, it, it, it I'm aware of the fact that when I say something forcefully like, hey, I don't think you should put pictures of your kids on the general purpose Internet, that can come across as an attack. And I'm, I'm still not sure how to deal with that.
1: Well, I do think you have a, a, a different take on it just given how you interact with the Internet, which is different than almost anybody else on the internet. And that, that comes along with a lot of baggage,
4: uh, I believe. That's that's true. I mean, on Instagram, I had, I don't know, 35,000 followers. And then on Twitter, I have like 400,000 followers. So obviously, when I share a picture of something, like substantial number of people see that in a way that perhaps is different from other people's experience. But I'm not sure the underlying concerns are really that different. Would it have been different if I had sure, 200 followers? Like that's still 200 people of unknown sort of relation that i would be sharing with and and again think back of before the internet times right like would you put up a picture of your kid in like the communal hall where like everyone from the town would go in like hey this is my kid doing this this is my kid doing that would your kid have like that right i think there's something about the internet where even small scale is not small at all right you think about the case again someone has 200 followers and on Instagram or Twitter, or wherever they're sharing their stuff, you're like, that's actually a lot of people. Try to put 200 people into a, a conference hall. Like, that's a lot of people. You Again, you wouldn't have done that in the before times. And I think it, it's just a, a good way to check whether you're calibrated for what you're actually doing if you try to think about it in physical space terms.
1: And I feel like that's even... Being too nice because the there wasn't the per, you know you put it in the town square or whatever it wasn't permanent. If once it's on the internet, it's right. on the internet forever, right. and you can't take it back. So
4: I I found that awesome. out actually when I was trying to scrub the pictures of, of my kids. I I found some pictures that were in a some articles that were posted online that someone had taken from my website or they taken from my Instagram. Account. It's like it's quite hard to get these things off again. I. I resorted to writing the authors and like, hey, can you take this off? And then it, it was cached, or then it's in the Wayback Machine or, or whatever. So it's so much easier to share than it is to retract. And there's something about that sort of dichotomy there or split that really is not very appealing <laughs> because given the fact that it's so much easier to share, it's also so much easier to regret. And what do you do with that regret if you can't act on it? So I, I've just found that when it comes to kids' pictures, the internet. I don't need it. They don't need it. They don't need me to need it. (laughs) And the reasons why I was sharing a bunch of these things were often got mixed in with all the reinforcement hacks that social media platforms use. And that just ended up feeling unbecoming to me.
2: You know, you're making a really great point. I remember there was a time that I was preparing for a talk and I needed to get like I guess, childhood pictures of myself to include in the talk. And so I had my kids, you know, I have these huge albums from when I was little. And so I had my kids help me, you know, pick out some of the pictures that were going to go in this talk. And as we were doing that together, I realized that like, I miss almost miss like the I you know just going through the pictures like the the actual photographs and the fact that they're all in this album and you know that's the album that if I had guests over I would share you know whether it was me as a child or my wedding or something else you know from my past and I realized that I think the way we've I I guess if, if, if it's a word internet internet sized, you know, or digitalized, like our, our taking and our keeping and our sharing of pictures, it's almost, it's all, we've almost lost the nostalgia, I feel. Like the nostalgia and the sense of like having a collection. Like I have albums from when I was five and I have albums from when I was 10. And, you know, it's almost like these periods of my life are like encapsulated in these albums that I feel is pretty much lost i think with the way with the way we kind of share our lives through images and through media today and so i think i mean i I feel like for that reason as well as others like i'm not so i i'd hardly live on social media and i have very little of myself out there but i think it go for me it goes back to that that Missing that nostalgia and missing that sense of like, this is a collection of snapshots from my life before.
4: Right. I I think there's also just something about the intimacy of privacy, that something else has a different value when it hasn't been passed around on the internet. And it's just yours. And there's something else to it, a, a magic to that, a magic to the unshared that I think we have discounted for a very long time. And we put all the value on the share that like, oh, what is a picture if it's not shared on the internet? I take more photos than I ever have. I have an enormous amount of, of photos starting from around 2010 or something by the time a camera phones got good enough. And it's such a source of joy to scroll back through that uh, so it's not for me that like the, the pictures have lost their value or, or uh, the digital aspect of it. In many ways, for me, it has made it even easier and, and I've captured so much more. But the value of all that being private is something I've only come to appreciate more recently. And I think that counter reaction in part that you see in, in other forms of social media like uh, Snapchat or, or whatever where it's, it's more of a direct form or, or, or I messaging or WhatsApp groups where you have a small group of people sharing something together, I think has a, has a real appeal because of that, that it's just, it's something d- different, something else when, when it hasn't been shared broadly. And it's also just more, in my opinion, sort of authentic. I mean, I was on Instagram for two and a half years, I think last time I was on. And even with the best intentions of getting onto that platform, knowing what it was, knowing all the tricks and the engagement hacks and whatever else was in there, I still got sucked into it. And I still got sucked into presenting a version of my life that was not only just the stereotypical highlight reel, but was almost at times driving like, oh, wow, that would make a good picture. I should do that, which is just the nastiest form of letting yourself be influenced by what others react to, which is something I don't have any interest in on an intellectual level. And then still, we're humans. And there's a reason why there's a billion people on Instagram, and there's a reason why all these platforms are so popular, because they're so damn addictive. And for me, it just required the hard stop when it came to that. Like, I just couldn't be on a platform like Instagram and not get sucked into it. So it was better for me to be off it. And you know what, of all the sort of social medias and whatever I've been involved with, Instagram was the most interesting because for a time I was sort of addicted to it in the sense that like we're all addicted to, to, to social media but I'd find myself checking it like maybe a few times a day and then I stopped using it and it took exactly two days and then I never thought about it again. <laughs> it was, some, holy shit, that was a, not a good use of my time, not a good use of my thoughts, not a good use of my privacy
0: curious about, so we've been talking a lot about pictures and these different platforms uh, and whatnot. I'm curious about talking about parenting, like not with pictures, but just, you know, Twitter or like the different places where you sort of post updates or questions. And I'm curious if you still engage in things related to parenting that are sort of aside from the from the pictures and, and how you approach that or how much you focus on sort of like the, the highlight reel versus, you know, real, real, I, I want to say real parenting, because we all know that real parenting is not the, is not the highlight reel.
4: I, it's a great question. And it's something given the fact that I'm still very much addicted to Twitter and, and spend an awful I was just going to say an awful lot. Let me just abbreviate it to an awful amount of time on it, (laughs) which is what it often is. But uh, very occasionally, I'll share like a little snippet of something one of the kids said or something we did, usually around gaming. So I like to excuse it for a higher calling that one of the the reasons I talk about gaming so much is because even just in my circles, I, I thought we were over this but like gaming video games still have negative connotations. And where I live in California, there's a lot of parents who are very keen on limiting screen time and and sort of being restrictive in all the ways that their kids engage with, with video games and how much they engage and so on. And we can get into that if you're all interested, but I find that to be just bullshit for the most part, an authoritarian, negative trend that I thought we had killed off in the 80s. Apparently, we hadn't. Anyway, (laughs) point being that when I didn't talk about like, oh, the kids, I I posted something like two days ago, like uh, the four-year-old, which is another explosive topic that I always get uh, replies to. We play Fortnite, and we play Fortnite as a family. I play Fortnite. My wife has even played a a, a bit, and, and both... Or my older sons uh, play it and, and one of them is, is four years old and so i posted something about like oh well i don't like my ipad anymore it doesn't play fortnite i like my OnePlus because it does play fortnite right and the reason i pay, post that so sparingly is because there's almost nothing i hate more than parents posting like the humble brag of like oh look at my always surprisingly young child having a surprisingly insightful observation about the world and it's just like go Oh, God. Right? Like, it's all the sort of flashback of that highlight reel of parenting or whatever of kids and positioning them as these sort of uh, sparkling, super unique individuals, super insightful, super funny. Exactly. And I'm just like, oh, shut the fuck up. Sorry. (laughs) I I hope this isn't actually... (laughs) But I just get so like, uh, like a gag of reflex goes off whenever I hear it. And there's certain people on the internet, I, I just, I can't even follow them because they post too much of that shit. And I, I just can't stomach it. So anyway, sort of now I'm talking about both sides of my mouth, saying like, hey, I posted something about it and, and generally that I don't like it. But that is the thing I, I kind of wrestle with because there are occasions where I'm like, oh, my kid just said something funny or, or, or quote unquote insightful. And I want to post it and I go like, do you know what? No. I wouldn't fucking want to read that shit. This is, this is just the proud parent thing. Proud parents are annoying. <laughs> they are, and I say that as a proud parent. I, I, I just, again, maybe this is just me and my own insecurities or whatever else this has root in. But I don't want to listen to you brag about your kid as a general rule of me talking or observing strangers. Now I forgot what the question even was. Sorry.
0: Yeah, it was just around engaging without without sort of thinking about pictures and photos, engaging, engaging on the on the internet about about parenting and yeah, I mean I I I was laughing throughout everything that you said because it is you know it is it is funny and it is interesting how we what we choose to post what we choose to engage with I I feel like. I feel like most of the things that I post on Twitter are like, oh, my kids love them, but oh, my kids. (laughs) So, but yeah, and, and, you know, I don't, I don't have that many followers. Like, one, one of the things that I basically never do is ask for any sort of advice or suggestions about anything ever on any platform because it's just like, no, thank you. I have, you know, smaller channels or groups or texts in order to, in order to do that. But yeah, I might, you know, like with more followers, literally anything and everything that you, that you post has a whole stream of all sorts of different people's opinions on what you should and shouldn't be doing.
4: And this is what's difficult for me because I like to engage in kind of intellectual jousts, let's just call it that online, to explore ideas, to get inspired by something, to have my views challenged. And I like it even more when there's stakes, right? Like the more important something is, the more I feel that I should be challenging my ideas about the world and how I think about things and how I see things. So. Does parenting not fall under that? Like, is that not one of the most important things that we do? Should we not be as curious as possible to find out better ways of doing it, at least getting some new perspectives on how we're doing it? And yet at the same time, it's always also perhaps because the stakes are so incredibly high, extremely difficult to be just a, quote unquote, neutral, curious Investigator parenting techniques, right? Because anything that is slightly off from what you're already doing, as, as I said, so easily reads as an attack on your parenting style. And is there anything that a parent would feel more sensitive about than essentially feeling like, oh, maybe I didn't do the very best for my child, right? Like, in some ways, it's almost like we're incentivized not to learn anything because. If we learn something new, we might view what we used to do as not the best way of doing things. And wouldn't that somehow feel awful? Uh, Which, again, I, I don't actually I don't think that's a healthy way of going. I think we should all be curious to learn new things. And sometimes we learn new things that convince us that what we used to do just not the best way and in some cases perhaps even outright wrong so I try to push some of those buttons because my own parenting style have been heavily influenced by the things that I've read that other people have written whether it's Alfie Cohen with the myth of the spoiled child or punished by rewards or it's uh, the book the self-driven child or any Vinnie any of these other authors who really challenged my thoughts on parenting I try to like pass that on, right, because I would have been a worse parent if I had not somehow stumbled across these sources of inspiration of, of parenting styles that perhaps don't come natural to all people at all times. And yet at the same time, I know that whenever I put something like this out in the world, there's quite likely a bunch of people who sit and say, right, well, I mean, I feel I feel personally attacked. Like that's the, that's the tagline, right? And, and the same thing too, when I talk about like video games or general, this, this whole threat of having a solid disrespect for authority, which I think is one of the most important things I can pass on to my children. And, and just these other sort of button pushing topics. It's like, it's kind of like, uh, it, it's like you want to push the button and then you almost want to run <laughs> because you don't want to see the explosion behind you. <laughs>
3: It, what it brings to mind is how I describe some of the conflicts my husband and I had when we first became parents and were sort of settling into to get together. And I identified the root cause of a lot of those as that he and I had never worked on a project together that I felt personally was like the most important thing I had ever attempted to do, and yet for which I was the least qualified of anything I've attempted to do As an adult, you know, and I just that combination of, as you said, the stakes are high and there's so much out there, you know, all of human history that you could be drawing on. Really, it's it's a pretty potent combination. I think it's pretty understandable for why people react the way that they do, even even as I oftentimes in my bio these days, I describe myself as like frequently hate reading a bunch of parenting books because (laughs) so many of them I'm like, Oh, you're targeting me as a parent, but like I'm busy. This could have been summarized in a pamphlet, and then I could have decided if it was the right thing for us or not. You know, way too wordy. (laughs) It's interesting to me that you're you're talking about passing on these values for for your own kids, such as a healthy skepticism at the minimum of of authority. And I was also wondering in particular how how or whether you've thought about things, the conversations that you might have around the privileges that your kids and your family might have compared to others in the world whether that's financial or you know for all of us i i just often think about how my kids will have a leg up for things because of just their parents being more aware of what's available out there for tech and other you know very powerful tools like that
4: yes it's that's perhaps one of or not perhaps that is definitely one of the most difficult areas of, of figuring this out because we are like extremely privileged, privileged inside a circle of privilege. In in a way where at what age is that a good time to take up in such a manner that it's actually productive and helpful and expanding for the child to understand? And in which way can you do it? One of the ways I have not liked very much, for example, is when people who are in a very privileged, let's say, financial situation go like, well, my kids really need to learn the importance of money. And i They shouldn't get anything sort of beyond like a sort of very small allowance or or their gifts needs to be very right sized. And at the same time, they're living a life of splendor and excess, right? Like that is just to me so utterly incongruent as to render whatever good intentions there might have been behind that utterly bunk. So I try not to do that, which I don't know, maybe that's a meta privilege on top of a privilege, but this idea that since we are in a position where like, the daily necessities is not something that we need to worry about. I don't need to f- sort of push that on the kids at an early age. And I mean that in sort of all the small ways of trying to like, teach them the value of money. In fact, I would like to teach them the opposite, right? That life is not just about understanding the value of money and being so focused on that, and that that has that should be put on a pedestal, particularly when we aren't in the situation of struggling for our basic necessities, right? I think there's a capitalist counter in not centering your your a lot of your parenting and what is values and, and what should I sort of ensure that they. Pass on to, to be around like money or, or so forth again, this is only possible because you' are in a privileged position, but that's the other thing I mean it, yeah it, I, I go back and forth on it often in in terms of how do you shield your kids from from capitalism in some ways because you are a main beneficiary of the way the systems are structured that that is in itself a bit of a mind fuck, but it's something I'm really keen to continue. Exploring And exploring in such a way that you end up, hopefully, leaving your kids with a worldview that is not centered around materialism, particularly American-style materialism, while at the same time also having empathy and understanding and working towards a fairer, more just world where resources are shared more equitably. So, I don't know. These things are occasionally in conflict and occasionally pushing each other forward, but um, yeah, unresolved.
3: <laughs> Ong- ongoing, Ong- ongoing work yes. here. To clarify, I-, I wanted to just check my understanding that the sort of one approach that you disagree with is—it sounds like kind of situations where you feel like parents are sort of placing in artificial. Constraint on yes yes money uh, items for their kid and there's yes there might be like a little bit of hypocrisy compared to what they get for themselves versus their kid.
4: Hundred percent. I have all the greatest respect in the world for parents who, who do have to worry and deal with which is like ninety nine point nine nine percent of the globe the the struggles of daily necessities. I grew up in in a household that absolutely had to deal with those concerns and constraints and then it's congruent right like uh, mm-hmm. then like okay like hey this is this is what it is and, and we're in it together it's the the fake imposture of like hey we're, we're living a life of relative comparative or absolute luxury yet i mean I'm, I'm gonna try to teach you a lesson about the value of money by constraining that that i find to be utterly unproductive yeah. And, and yeah the i can see what you mean this of kind that, of like
3: let's like what let's Play act, pretend like we are poorer than we are. And it kind of makes a bit of a mockery of those who are actually in those situations. Exactly.
4: That is exactly what it is.
3: Yeah. I think for me, there's another arena where I feel like there's, I haven't quite totally put my finger on it at times, but there's a sense to me sometimes when I read discussions where I almost feel like, like when people talk about, like, oh, like we will travel and like go to other areas and make sure you know, the kids, and, and there's, there's a way to do that really well, obviously, but there's also sometimes when I read people about it, that's all this like, oh, so you're like using other people's kids to help teach your kid a lesson, you know, like, that, right. does that make sense yes. at all? Hopefully yes. that's, yes that doesn't bring too much controversy down on my own
4: head. No, I, th- <laughs> I think that's true. And, and where it's even more true and where it's even more problematic and difficult and, and heartbreaking is so we we live in california and where the kids go to school like it's a place where let's just again use that frame euphemism people aren't struggling for their daily necessities right and you go like oh man i really wish that it was a more diverse constituency socioeconomically and in all the other ways and and then you're just like is that is that compatible right like one of the examples is so we go to this school out there and like all the time they just have these fucking events in the middle of the day and i'm always like yeah. are there no none of the parents here who fucking have to work like how does this even work like how, how do we just show up at like 1 p.m like how is that a thing that we do and then you look around and you're like oh yeah i guess my kids go to school at a place where they just don't right like that. These are considerations they can take, and and like that's you, you can wish like oh we should do sort of a more uh, it should be a, a more socioeconomically diverse people. It's, it's difficult right. It's it's difficult to you really have to then reform the whole thing. It actually has to be not just a token effort of like oh well we'll we'll do some I don't know scholarships or, or other ways of, of of addressing some of that. You have to address it all the way through. Can't fucking structure it as though it is a place where where everyone just can take off work at like one p.m. and and show up for a parent thing. I've,
1: anyway. I've had that. So my wife has so many times come complaining like, "How are all these other parents taking off in the middle of the day? Like, why, why are there these things at the school or the daycare or wherever?" And yeah, I just had to laugh.
3: Yeah, I mean, I and I like I've my oldest is only three and, you know, already in his first half year of preschool before the pandemic hit, there were plenty of events like that already. And it's like, okay, like I get why the schools organize it in that way. But at the same time, you know, I, I have often been left with the thought of like, well, like <laughs> I feel like it's good for the kids and, and for me as well, right. As a privileged tech worker, to make sure to get a sense of like, I don't know, quote unquote, like more normal people like in the, in their lives and like have have that interaction and not be within this bubble. But as I mentioned earlier, at the same time, I struggle with like, well, it feels really wrong to just be like, will you be my friend so that I can learn things from you that like from this perch, this weird position that I happen to be in because of a variety of lucky factors that ended up lining up the right way, you know?
4: Right. I, a great book Orwell wrote, a bunch of nonfiction as, as well as fiction. And The Road to Wiccan Pier talks about how the interaction between working classes and middle classes in the UK are often fraught with this of, of sort of like, well, on the one hand, like you have a general sense that you, you want more interaction, you want more dissolution of the class splits but then, when it actually comes to, to 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 doing the things and 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 making the accommodations, eh, do you know what? Perhaps the the appetite is not quite the same. And I think it, particularly in the U.S. I'm so that is the other thing. I currently live in Denmark. I grew up in Denmark, and now I'm back here in Denmark, and it's very different. Like kids here go to a school that is not like the school we went to in california at all where these privileges are not there where they're not a bunch of events at fucking 1 pm right because denmark has one of the highest levels of labor participation amongst women in particular like they're just parents are not available for that kind of shit. which means that by and large even at this school the class hierarchy is 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 it's not erased but it is just not at the forefront and you know what it's really nice it's really nice. And it's one of those things you perhaps don't appreciate, particularly if you are in a privileged circle of society and, and you live in, in the US and you're like, oh, well, you, you can sort of wring your hands about like, well, maybe it could be better if there was more integration. And then you try to live in a society where the class structure is so much flatter and you go like, man, this is just nicer. It's just such a nicer way to deliver and interact in a much broader sense. And in Denmark, it's not just about the schools. It's about like everyone does the same things, like take the metro or you take the bus or you ride your bike. There's just such a interaction between quote unquote classes. And then of course, there's also the collapsed class hierarchy, the smallest spread in class hierarchies anywhere in the world is in Denmark. So anyway, just as to say that even as someone who is rich and privileged and live a rich and privileged life in the U.S. When I then come to Denmark and like all those privileges, at least comparatively speaking, are, are, are put aside, you're like, this is better. And I think that this is one of the things that, that should inform a greater part of the discussion in the U.S. is that a more equal, less class stratified society is more pleasant even for the people at the top. Now we really took a turn here into uh, <laughs> society. Sorry. I was,
0: was going to say, <laughs> well, I feel like I feel like it, we could talk about that for hours. I mean, there's so, you know, there's there's so much there and how it relates to parenting and society structures and, and all sorts of stuff. But, yeah, really great, really great. Observations and yeah, just ways of ways of living and looking at being internet famous and financial privilege and and all sorts of things. So we are going to move to the portion of our show now where we talk about genius and fail moments. So these are things that have happened in you know, the last week or two weeks where you felt like you had you know a real a real genius as a parent or or you know something that. It didn't quite go as well. Anyone wanna go first?
2: I can go. So I think it's a genius. My my daughter, she's three, and she recently moved from her crib to her twin bed. Yay. Hey. So um, but I you know, when she was in her crib, she she is one of those children that she moves around a lot and the the boundary of the crib you know, was just invaluable because she's one of those kids who will roll off the bed in her sleep. And so when I was buying her twin bed, I was thinking about like the bed rails, like, you know, how you have the bed rails that anyway, I was researching them on Amazon and a lot of them just looked really bulky and like being able to fold it down or fold it up. I was afraid of like pinching my fingers or having her pinch her fingers anyway. And so I was, you know, anyway, long story short, I still had my pregnancy pillow. You know, those pregnancy pillows that like are really long, like a snake and really like poofy. Yeah. And So yes. And I still had that. And so her bed is in the corner of the room. And so some edges are taken care of. And so just wrapping the pregnancy pillow underneath her. So I have a really like fitted sheet and just stuffing it under there and having oh. it up. Yes. I mean, The under the sheet is like really key because that's not yes. going to get kicked off exactly Ooh. and the sheet is tight already and so it just holds the pregnancy pillow in place and so that goes around the exposed edge of her I just I was so I patted myself on the back I was like you go girl anyway oh yeah so, and it's working so far because like I think in and I've watched her in sleep like she'll get to it and she almost like hugs it a little bit and it kind of clues her in I think subconsciously that like this is the boundary don't go no further so it's working well so that's my genius
1: for that's a lot nicer than putting putting the mattress directly on the floor like we did for my son when he, so
2: if he fell out it wasn't a big deal but
1: it was like really a really classy bedroom I know
2: <laughs> all right thanks everyone I can go next.
3: I have a fail, which I think I've mentioned on a previous episode before about the fact that I did make like a really nice, thick photo book for my oldest uh, after one year, just like kind of the highlights, uh, my, my favorite photos. And, you know, there's like, what, like 500 of my favorite photos or whatever else. And he is now three. And has a younger sibling who turned one a little while ago. And that is the only photo book that I have still put together. And they, you know, I I put it accessible to the kids. And he's been so, so into looking at really loving on it. And now it's, I think it's like the cover was long gone. And the rest of the book itself has now been ripped into like at least three or four different sections scattered around the house, I think. So I really do need to get on this more. And I feel like it would be like, they would they would obviously also really love it if I even just made like a little board book that had selections of photos that were more recent from, from each of their second and third, so whatever else, but I haven't gotten myself, like I, I need that like activation energy to just be like, okay, if I just sat down and did it, I can probably get something that's good enough in like less than an hour, but I just haven't. They clearly like it. Yeah, I know. It would be such a hit. And I just I should. Yeah, I'll go. I'll go real quick.
1: So the last few times we recorded, like right before I would text the whole family and say, oh, no, we have a podcast. I need a genius fail. And they would come back with really cute, fun things. I did that today. And the first response I got was nothing off the top of my head. So my fail for cheating on figuring out fails (laughs) failed. I, I had a good fail. run. You were adequate <laughs> yeah. this week. week,
3: yeah. <laughs> as far as I can remember. <laughs> yep.
4: well, I guess I'll, I'll go with the fail that is uh, more or less this call. So I was trying to do time zone math and thought I'd done it correctly and thought I'd timed it such that I could record this show right when the kids were getting picked up from school and I'd, I'd be here alone. And then, of course, as always, I was off by one. Off by an hour, and it happened to be that uh, hey, we're going to go on the recording just as everyone came home, and that's always sort of a source of some stress since the home office I have here is right next to the living room, and kids make noise, surprise, surprise. So how do you make a, a quiet recording? You should you should plan. You should you should get your time so math correct, and when you don't, it's it's not that great. So
3: nice.
0: I also have a fail, a lot of fails today. I have a two and a half year old, I guess she's coming closer to three now, and she is amazing and she is fiery, which I am very proud of, but it is, sometimes it's annoying. Anyway, so she, she's been staying up late recently, and in the house that we're currently in, we can like... Basically, there's no way to, there's no way to sort of like keep her in her room. And so she's, you know, been coming out of her room and wandering around and whatnot. And the other night it, it hit 10 PM and I, I just, Gave up, to be honest. And I made myself popcorn, and I went upstairs to my bedroom, and I closed the door, and ate popcorn, and watched a show on my iPad in bed. And I was just, I said to her, I was like, look, I was like, you know where your bed is. You, you know, go go upstairs whenever you're ready. And my my husband said something like, oh, she bested you tonight. And I was like, that's right. Yes, she did. So that was my fail, you know. Yeah.
1: <laughs> All right.
4: And relate. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel like there's some win in there. <laughs> Strong, opinionated
0: women. Supporting Sorry. independence? Yeah, I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: All right, so David, if people want to find you on the internet or learn more about you, where, where can they go? Where should they
2: look?
4: Normally I would just say, oh, hey, I'm on Twitter. But I have learned that my Twitter feed is an acquired taste, and perhaps that is not the best introduction to anyone, really. (laughs) So I will recommend checking out some of my books. I wrote a book or released a book together with Jason Fried, my business partner and co-author about a year and a half ago called It Doesn't Have to Be Crazy at Work, which tries to lay out a different approach to work and a counter to particularly American tech standards and ethics and values and ideologies. And I think that ties well into some of the discussions we had earlier. So check out that book. Yeah, wherever you buy your books. I was was just about to say Amazon, but I've been on a long kick of not saying Amazon for anything and stopped buying Amazon myself. So I would recommend that you buy the book somewhere else, but check it out dhh.dk is my personal website and you can find a link to the book and the other books I've written on that if, if you must uh, or, or desire that amount of whatever that is. I'm also on Twitter at dhh.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much for coming on our show and for being our guest.
4: Thank you again for having me. This is great.
0: All right. Thanks so much for listening to the Parent Driven Development Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. If you have questions that you'd like us to chat about on air, you can email us at panel at or find us on Twitter at, at parentdrivendev. And if you like what you hear, again, please support us on Patreon or patreon.com slash parentdrivendev and rate us on iTunes. Bye, everyone.